Amen. If you enjoy the music, say amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of John. The book of John. We are not going to go through an exposition this morning, but I would just like to set the table in John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. And as you're going there, just remember uh, what Bob said about the, the video streaming content that's available to us, and I have used it in homeschooling uh, with my, my girls, and so they gave it a thumbs up. So anyway, so it's, it's, it can be used for a lot of things, and Bob, I appreciate you making that available to our church. We appreciate that very, very much. Um, and also, um, we, just, we do apologize about the, the warmth of the worship service. But we just wanted to make people very, very glad it's cool outside. <laughs> Nothing like perspective, right? And appreciation. Um, but anyway, but as, as John Freeman said in the back just a while ago, he said, well, in, in Cuba and Venezuela, the air conditioner's never on, but yet they worship. Amen? And so, uh, all right. So thank you for that perspective, John. Appreciate that. All right. John chapter 20, starting in verse number 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But listen to what he says here. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Praise God for the book of John and praise God for the great salvation that we have through our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Ooh, y'all, y'all made me worry on that one just a little bit. Outside of the book of Romans, and arguably the book of Psalms, there has never been, I do think, a, a book of the Bible that has blessed Christians down through the centuries like the Gospel of John. So much so that it has been called the love letter, God's love letter to the church. And obviously that's taken from John 3.16. And not only that, but John Calvin said about the Gospel of John, he said, the Gospel of John is the key that opens up the door of understanding for the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And only the way he can, Martin Luther said this about the Gospel of John. He said, this is the unique, tender, genuine chief Gospel. Should a tyrant succeed in destroying the Holy Scriptures and only a single copy of the Epistle of Romans and the Gospel, according to John, escape the tyrant? Christianity would be saved. And it's no wonder that these people come to these conclusions because some of the popular, most popular, encouraging texts come to us from the book of John. Not, not exclusively, because we believe the whole Bible is uh, worthy of our reading, it's our authority, it's our inerrant guide in life. But just think about John 3.16. Just think about John 3.16 for a moment. A fisherman led and moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote a very, very simple, but very compact, profound verse. One of the greatest verses in the whole Word of God. And then you have verses like John 6.35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If anyone comes to me, they will never hunger. If anyone believes in me, they will never be thirsty or they will never thirst. And boy, I tell you what, man, when I woke up this morning and I looked on the website, some news websites, man, our our world is hungry. Our world is thirsty. Why is there violence? Why is there rioting? Why is there racism in, in our world? It's because people are hungry. People are thirsty, but they're not going to the right source, right? And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You will never hunger if you come to me. I am the water of life. If you believe in me, you will never be thirsty. And then you have scriptures like John 10, 11, 
where Jesus says, and the enemy comes to do nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly because I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for his sheep. Aren't you glad? that the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. Aren't you glad about that? And aren't you glad that we don't follow the enemy? We don't follow the accuser anymore, but we follow a resurrected Lord who gives us life and gives it to us more abundantly. And then you have scripture like uh, John uh, chapter 11, verse 25, when Jesus is coming to the tomb of Lazarus, and there before he gets to the tomb of Lazarus, he is met by a not-so-happy Martha. Remember the story? And, and, and she said, you know, Lord, if you would have been here earlier, my, my brother would not have died. And Jesus gives her one quick answer. What does he say? I am the resurrection, and I am the life. If anyone believes, though he die, yet shall he live. And if anyone lives and believes, they shall have life. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus asked. He said, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And there is nothing more comforting, um, in, in my opinion, as you're walking away from a graveside with those words resonating in your ears. I am the resurrection and I am the life. If anyone believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. You know what he's saying there? We'll never die. Amen? We will never, ever die. And then you have uh, verses like John 15 and verse 1. I am the vine. We are the branches of the vine. I am the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. And then you had that really comforting passage in John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, where Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Boy, I tell you what, if there is a passage of Scripture that we just need to go back to during these troublesome times, virus and writing and uh, the election and so forth and so on. It is John chapter 14, verse 1, where Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be so anxious that you are paralyzed in life. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also, and the way you know. And what does Thomas say to him? you got to love Thomas, right? you got to love the Apostle Thomas. I mean, he's so real. He said, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean we know the way? Father, I mean, Jesus, what? And what did Jesus say? He said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by or through me. So why did Luther, why did Calvin, why did all of these authors and church leaders, why did they come to the conclusion that the Gospel of John is a very special, profound Gospel because of what we just read? And not only that, but out of the Gospel of John, I believe that probably more than any other Bible, except, I mean, book, except for Romans, I mean, people have used it to lead people to Christ. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I hope, I hope that's never lost on us. Right? Now don't let the warmth get into your brain and make, and make you fall asleep this morning, all right? Just resist it, all right? Resist it. All right? I hope that that verse is never, ever lost on us. We quote it so much. We go back to it so often that sometimes we become contemptuous of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his one and only son, that if we believe in him, 
If we put our belief, our trust, our faith in Him, we will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. And there are very few funerals that I have done wherever I don't go back to the book of John. And I use chapter 11 and chapter 14 just to encourage people as going through a time of grief and a time of mourning. And, and every time you know, someone asks me, they say, Aaron, you know, what, what book should I start reading in the Bible? Tell them the book of John. Don't, don't tell somebody to read the book of Genesis because, man, by the time you get to Leviticus, man, their brain's starting to shut off, right? And so tell them to start in the book of John and go right through the book of Acts. It's a powerful, powerful, tremendous book. Not that the other Gospels are not. Not that the book of Galatians is not. But, man, we got to admit there is just something special about the Gospel of John. Now, before we get into what is special about the Gospel of John, let me just hit you with a couple things real quick. These are a little bit academic things, but I think it would be good to know these things about the Gospel of John. Liberal scholarship, if there's one book in the Bible that liberal scholarship has attacked, it's been the Gospel of John. I mean, man, the liberals, I don't know if, you know, if Bob and, and Dave and John, if y'all study this in, in Bible college or seminary, I mean the higher critics. I don't know why they call them higher critics. In my opinion, they're lower critics. But I mean, they, they pound, they pound, they pound, they pound the gospel of John. They try to disprove the gospel of John. And two things are two areas they attack are the authorship of John, who actually wrote the book of John, and it's relationship with the other Gospels. And so let's take those one at a time, and then we're going to move into the differences, and then we're going to, we're going to close. Number one, even, even though the author of the, book of, of the Gospel of John is never specified, we believe through church history and through the internal nature of the text that John the Apostle was the author of this book. Even liberal scholars are having to admit now that John was the author of the Gospel of John. And there's two reasons why. First of all, you have external evidence, and then you have internal evidence. The external evidence points back to the early church fathers, all right? Those church leaders um, that, appear, that, that, that God raised up at the end of the first and the beginning of the second century. And one of those church leaders was a guy, a dude by the name of Irenaeus. Irenaeus. Irenaeus was the bishop of Lyon. I know y'all want to say Lyon because it just sounds so sophisticated. On the count of three, everybody say it. you got to say it, Lyon, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Y'all sound like a bunch of French hillbillies. All right, anyway, Lyon. And he was the bishop of Lyon, and he lived around 130 to 205, you know, um, Anno Domini. And, and so he was a disciple of Polycarp. Who was Polycarp? Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. And, and, he, and Irenaeus said, he gave witness, that Polycarp gave witness, that John was the author of the Gospel of John. Not only that, but when you go to the second century, you have uh, church leaders like uh, Clement of Alexandria and Tertullian that say beyond a doubt that John was the author. And so this external evidence points, especially John's disciple Polycarp, points that John was the author of the Gospel of John. Then you have internal evidence. And the reason why we go to internal evidence is because not one time is the Apostle John mentioned in the Gospel of John. Not one time. Uh, he is mentioned at least 20-something times in the other Gospels because he is so important. 
And we believe that he is never mentioned in the Gospel of John because he is the one that wrote the Gospel of John. And so whenever you know, the author of John says, I, it's John who is saying, I. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Hey, man, if I was writing a letter to you all, you know, I wouldn't use third person all the time. And Aaron Rayburn, think like Bob Dole. Y'all remember Bob Dole used to do that all the time? Well, Bob Dole believes I wouldn't do that. I would use the pronoun I. And that's what the Apostle John did here. But not only that, but if you, if you take a close look at the Gospel of John and the epistles of John, you will see a lot of similarity in language. You'll see a, a lot of similarity in, in different themes. For instance, if, if you go to John chapter 20 and John chapter 21, especially the last two verses of this book, you see that the author of the Gospel of John puts a premium on being an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you go to 1 John chapter 1, you see the same thing. We know that John wrote the epistle of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And so there's a lot of correlation there, a lot of similarity in language and so forth. And so without a doubt, I think we can safely say that John was the author of the Gospel of John. And I know y'all will be able to sleep better because of that tonight, right? All right. And then the second, the second way liberal scholarship attacks the Gospel of John is the Gospel of John is so different from the synoptic Gospels. And what I mean by synoptic is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The word synoptic just means summary. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all use similar stories, I mean almost identical language, in describing the life of Jesus. But whenever you get to the book of John, I mean just the first verse of the book of John is so radically different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And a lot of people will say, they'll say, see there? See, John is contradicting the Synoptic Gospels, but that's not true. It's as easy as this. What John is doing is John is complimenting Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's nothing in John that contradicts the Synoptic Gospels. In fact, they're just interlocking with each other. It's like four people describing something, and they're all coming at it from a different perspective. Does that make sense? And so Matthew's going to come at it from a different perspective. Mark will, Luke will. And whenever you get to John, man, it is just a very different perspective on Jesus Christ. And so with that, let me just close with this, because I know it's a little warm in here. Let's look at the distinctions or the difference um, between John and the Synoptic Gospels. The first thing that you see whenever you read through the Gospel of John um, is that there are very few miracles in the Gospel of John, very few. In, in Mark alone, there are 20-something miracles, and he alludes to eight to ten more miracles. And so in Mark alone, there's about 30 miracles. In John's Gospel, there's only eight. And six of those miracles are special to John's Gospel. Not only that, but there are no parables in the book of John. Whenever you read through the book of John, you will not run up against parables. In Matthew, there's 15. In Mark, there's nine. In Luke, there's 35 parables, but there are no parables in the gospel of John. A third of the gospel of John, and we will see this as we march through the gospel of John, a third of the gospel of John, chapters 12 uh, through 19, are reserved for the last week, the last week, the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. Hey, by the way, let me ask y'all, did y'all know we're going to be in the Gospel of John until Easter? Did y'all know that? 
And so around Easter time, we are going to get into that last week of Jesus' life. But the, the most striking thing, if you will, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, one of the most striking things about the Gospel of John is how it starts. If you go back to the book of Matthew, you're immediately hit with a genealogy. Begat, 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 begat. And then that genealogy moves into the birth of Jesus Christ. And you have a very short, short birth narrative there. When you go to the book of Mark, it begins with the ministry of John the Baptist, and then it leads into the baptism of Jesus. When you go to Luke, we're going to read this when we get into the Advent season. When you go to the book of Luke, it starts out with the birth of John the Baptist, and then it goes into the birth of Jesus. And we have that wonderful, that powerful birth narrative in the book of Luke. But whenever you get to the book of John, it's totally different. Totally different. And what John does is he goes back to eternity past. He goes back before the birth of Jesus. He goes all the way back into eternity. In verse number 1, and we're going to talk about this next week, John writes, in the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? It's Jesus Christ. He's the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Don't let anybody ever tell you that that means and Jesus was a God. That doesn't make any sense, man. All right, it means what it means. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And not only this, he he doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 2 and said that Jesus is the agent of creation. It says, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus is the agent of creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so he goes back to the beginning. He says, in the beginning, Jesus was, and he was God. Not only that, but it is Jesus who spoke the world into existence. And not only that, but it says in verse 4, even though we are living, it doesn't mean that we have life. It doesn't mean that we have abundant life. Because if we really have that abundant life, then we have Jesus Christ. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life, his life, was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Brothers and sisters, I tell you what, that's why we need to be bold about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our very dark world, in what our country is going through right now. We need to shine the light of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. And so right from the beginning, John just has such an unbelievable nuance um, about Jesus Christ. Goes back to the beginning, talks about him being the creation, talks about him being the light that shines in the darkness. But one thing that really makes John distinct is how he describes the nature and character of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close after I give you this. If you've read through the book of John, you'll run up against what we call the I am statements. I space A-M. I am statements. And you know the statements, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way. I am the life. I am, I mean, you have a whole bunch of them, right? right, I am the resurrection and the life. And before Abraham was, I am. And what's happening there, the reason why John adds those I am statements there is he is describing the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. 
And what he's doing whenever he uses those I am statements, he's pointing back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. In Exodus chapter 3, God sends Moses as an instrument to deliver his people. And God tells Moses, hey, look, I want you to go to my people, and I'm paraphrasing, and I want you to tell them that I'm going to deliver them out of Pharaoh's hands. Is that not what it, right? And so Moses asked him this. He didn't go, yes, Lord, I'm on it. No, he said, well, if I go back to them and they ask me who you are, what am I supposed to say? What does he say? He says, you tell them that I am, that I am. Now, we'll get into that when we get into the I am statements, but that's powerful. You tell them that I am a holy and righteous, self-sustaining God. I don't need anyone to exist. I don't need anyone. I don't need, I'm not obligated to anything. You tell them that I am the I am. I am Yahweh God. And most scholars believe that whenever Jesus uses those I am statements, especially when he said, truly, truly, before Abraham was, I am. What he's doing is he's pointing back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, and Jesus is claiming to be the great I am. And then the last distinction of the book of John is just the word believe. It's just the Greek word pistis, to believe, to have faith to trust in something. I want you to go to John chapter 20. Go to John chapter 20, near where we started this morning. And let's go back to verse number 30 of John 20. And we see the thesis of John's gospel. The reason why the gospel of John exists, why it's in the canon of God's word. All right? Usually people put the thesis at the beginning, but he starts with the eternal God, the word, the logos. But we have to go all the way down to chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 to see what the thesis is, the reason why this is in the Word of God. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so what? So you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Why was the Gospel of John written? So that we can know about Jesus Christ. We can know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved me that He sent His one and only Son. And by the way, I will say it again. I've said it many times. I would not give my son nor my daughter, well, it depends on which day, I mean, as a sacrifice for you all. I wouldn't do it. I think on their worst day, as my... My daughter says, my worstest day, on their worstest day, I would not give my child for you. I wouldn't do it. And you all wouldn't do it for me, right? You wouldn't do it for me. But here is the holy God of the universe. And he sends his only begotten, his one and only son to this earth to die for my sins. Jesus Christ was sent to be a substitution for my sins. He took my place. He took the wrath of the Father. He took my sin. He took my shame. He took my guilt. In other words, He took my hell to the cross, and He paid the penalty for my sin. Why in the world would a holy and righteous God send His one and only Son to do that? Because He loves us. I don't understand why God loves me. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't understand why God loves me. I don't. There is no righteousness in me, none whatsoever. But he sent his son that if I believe in him, if I believe in him, it doesn't say that if I believe and join a certain church, it doesn't say if I believe and become a Southern Baptist, it doesn't say that if I believe and, um, and I believe uh, that the Pope is the voice of Christ, it doesn't say that if I believe and, and I pray to Mary, it doesn't say anything like that. Folks, it, 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 like somebody said, if it's Jesus plus something, that's not grace. That's not grace. It's by simply putting our trust and our faith into Jesus Christ. What he has done on the cross and what he did through the empty tomb. And if we believe in him, if we put our trust and our faith in him, and we repent of our sins, then we will be saved. If we believe in him, we'll have that abundant life. It doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It means that he gives us fulfillment in life. There's so many people walking around without a fulfilled life. He said, I'm going to give you a, a fulfilled life. I have hope and joy and peace. And understand the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it? Can I just stop right? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, go study the other world religions. There's no other world religion like this one. It's a gospel of grace. Grace. You don't have to appease God. Jesus appeased the Father on your behalf. On your behalf. That's awesome. And so those, that's just kind of a, a very short introduction to the book of John. Next week, man, we're going to just, I mean, drive head straight on into chapter 1, verse 1, talking about the eternal Christ. I hope that you come back or you tune in uh, through streaming because it's so important. It's so important that we understand what John is telling us in John 1, 1 and 1, uh, 2 and 3 and 4. Very, very important. But my prayer is this. I pray that as we go through the book of John, you say, Aaron, that's a mighty long time, man, all the way to Easter. That's a mighty long time. Uh, but we've been in, uh, we were in James almost a year and a half, so it's all, it's all good. We're going to live, amen? All right? Um, and if we believe in Him, though you die, yet shall you live. You're unsinkable, but you'll be all right. We're going to take a little break at Advent in December, and then we're going to head straight in to the passion narratives of Jesus Christ, and we're, we're breaking this down into short uh, sermon series within a larger series. But I pray that as we tackle these subjects of the Word, of the Logos in John 1.1, as we tackle the I Am statements, as we tackle the passion narratives and the crucifixion and the resurrection, I pray that Jesus Christ will become greater and greater and greater and greater in our lives. Do you know what we need right now? Listen, I like football. I like football. I do. I, I mean, I, I don't get to watch it very much because I'm, I'm deep in the Word of God on Saturdays. Don't y'all feel sorry for me? But anyway, I mean, I, mean, I like football. But, you know, we don't, we don't need more football. We need Jesus. I mean, we, we don't need more government. We need Jesus Christ. That's what we need. And he needs to become greater in our individual lives, thereby becoming greater in our church. We should decrease so that he will increase in our life and in our church and that he will be shown to be great in our communities. In our communities. I remember reading in the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of y'all read that or seen it? All right, John. 
All right? In the Chronicles of Narnia, there, there's a section where Lucy, little Lucy, comes up to Aslan, the lion. Aslan the lion is a figure of Jesus Christ. I think y'all know this. And I hope I'm quoting this right, because I'm just doing it off the top of my head. And she comes up to Aslan, and she gazes into his face, that great lion. And, and, and she says something like this, Aslan, you are bigger and bigger and bigger. And he said, yes, my child. Every year that you grow, I will become bigger and bigger and bigger. And whereas as a child, usually when we grow up, things become smaller and smaller and smaller. No, but with Aslan the lion, he gets bigger and greater and greater and greater and greater. And he says this to Lucy, he says, every year that you grow, you will find that I become greater. And I pray that that will be our attitude, that that will be our mindset, that that will be our spirit as we go through the book of John, that Jesus Christ becomes so much greater than us. One reason why we're facing such turmoil is because we have not made Jesus greater. One reason why we're still muddling through issues of our society is because we have not made Jesus greater. And I pray, as we go through the book of John, that He'll become greater and greater and greater. Amen? Amen? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning that you would trust Jesus. You'll put your trust into belief. Pistis means to put your trust into, your faith into Jesus. Confessing your sins, repenting your sins, trusting in what He did on the cross, trusting the empty tomb. You say, Aaron, do you really believe that a man rose from the, the dead? Yep, I do. He did it for me, He did it for you. So once again, if we repent of our sins and we put our trust in Him and we call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says on the authority of His Word, Romans 10, 13, that we shall be saved. We shall be saved. And I pray that you have done that. I pray that you have done that. And if you would like to know how to be saved, we can show you through the Word of God. Right over here to my left. I'll, I'll, I'll come over here at the service after Pastor Clay sings the last song and I can meet you over here and I can show you through the Word of God how you can be saved. This morning, if you would like to join Edwards Road Baptist Church, if the Holy Spirit is leading you into the church, we had we had someone uh, Dana Andrews join the church uh, this morning at the early service at the end. She joined the church. Dick Stroop's mother. I wish I knew Dick Stroop's mama's name. I just call her Mrs. Stroop. Anyway, had a great conversation with her this week, and she said, "I absolutely want to join Edwards Road Baptist Church." And so we welcome them. And if if you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you, you meet me right over here or Pastor Bob is, and I can show you how you can join Edwards Road Baptist Church. But the most important thing is your relationship with Christ. Your relationship with Christ. And let's pray that He'll become greater and greater in our lives. What I'd like to do is just something different. Um, i like for us to pray for our nation. Um, I'm, I'm burdened. I think we all are. I, I think that's pretty obvious. We're all burdened for our nation. It just seemed like the, the violence in certain cities is just not stopping. Um, we're facing an election. I know all of you are just looking so forward to that. And, and I just want us to pray for our nation. We are, we are facing a very important, decisive election. I know that said every, every cycle. I understand that. 
But boy, there's just something about this one. Something about this one. We really need to pray for our nation. And so what I'm going to do is on the first, sun, the first day of October, I just want to lead our church to just a, a 30, 31-day um, prayer emphasis. And it will be out of the book, Praying for Your Church. And I'm going to supplement that with uh, praying for our nation, especially the upcoming election. Because there is a lot of darkness in our world. A lot of darkness. And so I'll, um, I'll let you know how you can get a copy of that book, that prayer guide. But I just want to lead us through that. I think it's very important that we pray. And, um, and so I, I, I'm going to say, I hope, I hope you all don't let me go, but there's one or two people that's going to be our president in several months. Unless you're going to vote for Kanye. That's, you're just wasting your vote on that one, man. Anyway, who knows? One of two. Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And we need to pray for their salvation. I don't know if these men are saved. Um, anyway, I'm just going to leave it there. We need to pray for these men. That they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You say, Aaron, do you believe God can do that? Yes, He can do that. And they would lead our nation righteously. There's no politician that's going to be perfect. None. But we need a president that's going to lead us righteously. Amen? And so with that, let's stand. And let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the Spirit. Thank You for Your Word. And thank You for the church. And Father, we, um, we give You praise for this Gospel that we call John. And really, it's the Gospel of Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ. And we thank You for that good news that Jesus came to this earth and took our place so that we can know the Father, we can have a relationship with the Father, and we can have an abundant life and know that heaven is our home. And so we thank you for this gospel. And it is my prayer, Father, that Jesus will become greater and greater and greater and greater as we decrease that Jesus might increase in our lives in our homes, how we relate to our spouse, how we relate to our children, our community, on the job. May Jesus increase. And Father, we we pray for our nation. Father, we pray that You will just subside this virus, that You will subside the riots and the tension And I pray that we'll seek your face. There is no other hope outside of the gospel. And I pray that we'll be quick to share it. And we pray for our nation. We pray for our presidential election. Lord, we pray in your name. We pray for your will to be done. That's hard sometimes. 
Because that means we have to let go of the reins. And we have to quit trying to control things and let you have your way. And Father, I pray that whoever is president, I pray, Father, that they will know your Son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And that they will strive to govern righteously. And I pray that your people will choose righteously. Not out of pressure, not of how our family has voted in the past or whatever, but Lord, that we will choose righteously. But Father, we know that above and beyond any president or politician, we need you. We need your gospel, gospel of peace. So Father, once again, I pray that Jesus will become greater. And it's in His great name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church. But if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org. 